Welcome back to Market Call, peeps. Hope you all had a wonderful Valentine's Day. I'm Guy Adami. I'm always joined by Dan Nathan later. Check this out. We'll be talking to Angie Lau from Forecast News about all things crypto. And you know what about? About all things, by the way. Today's episode is brought to you by CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity. And of course, open exchange because they matter and they matter. They manage all the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Well, two days in a row, market rallies off a throttling on Friday, Dan. I guess in large part due to what appears to be a calming uh, over in Eastern Europe. Yeah, I mean, listen, you and I know we've been in this business a long time. And a lot of times when you see those sorts of geopolitical events, the things that you can put your finger on, you do see a de-escalation, right? Markets climb a wall of worry. I know I just triggered you there, big guy. But that's kind of what we had late last year, a little bit. All of these things that we really can kind of look at. Rising inflation, rising interest rates to combat that, these geopolitical issues, high valuations, they were all there in November and December. The market kept on ripping, right? And so here we are in January, February, and, you know, we kind of sold the news. I'm just going to give you every little market idiom guy I can think of right here. And what did they do, right? So they were kind of fearful greedy you know they bought the thing this and that whatever i'll stop right there because i know you're about to fall off your chair a little bit but when you see something de-escalate like that and you saw it in underlying risk assets they were definitely had their antennas up you're going to get this sort of reflex reaction that we had here but i will tell you you and i would probably agree too we're just not out of the woods yet because no, no, the russia thing was just one thing yeah no doubt about it and we're going to slide it all and take a look at the s p but to your point i would say yeah i mean the russia ukraine thing has been out there for a while and the ebbs and flows of the news cycle but this market didn't start selling off on the back of that and all the things that the market had been selling off on are still in place and oh by the way dan i'm not convinced this russia ukraine situation is over by any stretch of the imagination so two good days in a row let's see what the rest of the week holds but i'll say this here we are once again at this 200-day moving average, seemingly a magnet. And we're right in the middle of that range, that upper end of the range, the red line that you drew, that's resistance. Support is well-documented, basically around 4250 That represented by the October low and the recent low that we saw. We're smack in the middle of it. And we're smack right on the 200-day moving average. Yeah, and to your point, you know, that sell-off in January from the all-time highs that the S&P was making early had nothing to do with Russia, right? So here we are. We're kind of in no man's land. We're in that range. Exactly. So let's take a look at, Dan, the NASDAQ is represented here. The C- these are the E-mini NASDAQs traded on the CME. Now, this chart obviously looks a little bit different. Here we have a pretty well-defined, in my opinion, bit of a double top. We are still below That support line, the previous support line, which is now resistance, and obviously that coincides with the 200-day moving average, which comes in right around, I think, Dan, 11,000. Excuse me, I'm probably off a little bit, but you get what I'm saying, right about that 15,000 or so level. I'll say this. This chart does not look nearly as constructive as the S&P chart. 
Yeah, and we know why, right? The concentration of those major names in the NASDAQ 100, they made up a disproportionate amount of that index gains um, over the last year or so, and they obviously led to the downside. The other thing is, is like we just mentioned valuations, you know, with interest rates going higher, we saw dozens and dozens of stocks in the NASDAQ 100 absolutely get pummeled over the last six to nine months or so. And we also know that even back in Q1 of 2021, those major names, those five or six names that make up more than 40 percent of the NASDAQ 100, they struggled when interest rates were rising higher. Um, you know, 10-year got to, what, 177 in March of 2021. So we're 11 months later here, and it makes perfect sense to me with a 10-year above 2% that high valuation tech stocks that are seeing decelerating growth after a period of hyper-acceleration are having a tough time. They're having a tough time. And what's interesting about this chart, a number of different things, but for me, it's a 200-day moving average, which has been basically lower left to upper right, is now starting to flatten out and actually turn lower. So when you start to see that change, that that upward slope now change into downward, that could be a change directionally in terms of a market that's basically been straight up for the last couple of years. I think that's important to watch. I will say this. I do think you're going to see a test of that recent low, and we'll see what, how it manifests itself. Maybe it's in the form of rates continuing to grind higher, or maybe it's some more high-profile misses, which we'll talk about later. But here's the moment of truth chart, and it comes in the form of the small caps, the RTY, Dan. And we've talked about this seemingly every show for the last six or seven months. Very well-defined support levels, as you can see by that red line. We finally broke in January, had that huge downdraft. Now we're sort of grinding back to what was, again, support becomes resistance. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, this is one, though, I think that you identified a couple months ago in that breakout. And you said if it can't hold, if it can't establish a new range, if there can't be some new leadership out of small caps, which would suggest that maybe we are seeing this kind of reflating sort of economy here. We're getting past, let's say, the Delta variant from the summer. And what happened was we got another variant. We saw things slow down here, right? And so, you know, at the end of the day, I think the Russells, the small caps in particular, have been very rate sensitive. And we know that, you know, they were trading well with rates in early 2021, because at that point, it meant that maybe the economy was improving and therefore rates should come off off these unusually low levels here. But now with rates at 2%, they're doing it for a whole host of different reasons, right? Because we have these inflation readings where they are. And listen, at the end of the day, 7.1 in December, 7.5 on the CPI in January, you get another one one in the high single digits. And I think a lot of investors are going to be pretty convinced that the Fed had that whole transitory thing wrong. Yeah. And I've been convinced of that for a while. And obviously at PPI today, which is not as important, but another hot number. And I think you're right. If you know, typically higher rates mean the economy is doing better, which should be supportive of the small caps. But that's exactly the opposite of what's happening now, because obviously inflation is concerned, which takes us to the obvious chart. 10-year yields. And here we are. We talked about it getting to 2%. Here we are at 2%. What was interesting to me, Dan, on Friday when you saw that huge downdraft in the broader market on the back of a whole host of different things, you saw 10-year yields quickly go from about 2.03 down to 191, pretty much in a straight line. And that made sense. And we had actually talked about it on Market Call. I thought you could potentially see lower rates if the market were to sell off as people went to the Treasury market and sort of this flight to quality. And that's exactly what we saw on Friday. But now the market is saying, well, we're back to the old problems. Again, maybe this geopolitical stuff is a little overblown. 
And now people are getting back out of yields. In other words, yields are going higher. They're selling their treasuries. And we have rates back above 2% here. I think we're going to hover around these levels for a while because I do think you're going to see fits and starts on the geopolitical front. So every time you get bad news on that front, I think you'll see yields go lower. And every time it seems like the coast is clear, I think the trajectory higher continues. But it's going to be ebbs and flows here, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, you know, last night on Market Call, we talked about Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley, his call that if Russia were to invade Ukraine, it would be a polar vortex. And really what he was saying is for the economy, it just would kind of push things in a recession. We know that supply chains are already really exasperated here and only make things worse. Obviously, if you're worried about inflation, you have to be in worried about input costs, whether it be oil and that gas. And those aren't doing particularly well. I think the 10-year probably comes back to that breakout level near 175 or so. Maybe your two-year continues to go a little higher. You've had a call for a flat or flattening yield curve, and maybe that's how we get there, Guy. Yeah, I thought in terms of flattening yield curve, I thought we'd see 30 basis points in the twos, tens, and I thought we'd see it in the form of 1.5%, which we're basically at in the two-year, and 1.8% or so in the 10-year. So I'm a little bit off, but not that far. As a matter of fact, I think the twos, tens got down to about 41 basis points or so. We'll see how it plays out. The next obvious one to look at, though, given what's happening geopolitically, is the HYG for me. And, Dan, I think the HYG is interesting because, again, something that typically does not trade at all. You've had a couple of downdrafts if you go back and look over the last five years. You obviously had one at the end of 2018. I can tell you exactly why that was. That's when Jerome Powell basically said we're going to raise rates and we're going to be on autopilot in terms of reducing the balance sheet. The broader market sold off close to 20%, and that's what that stock, that's what that chart represents. The obvious one, obviously, March, uh, February, March of 2020, we all know what happened there. But now we're starting to roll over once again in the HYG. And this is something, Dan, I think people need to keep an eye on. Because this could be, as as the police said, the canary in the coal mine. Well, right. And so let's kind of break down why this is important. And when you go back to 2018 and you see that at about like some point in Q3 or kind of uh, mid mid year or so, you started seeing high yield credit. You saw spreads widening a little bit. And there was two things going on at the time. It was, yes, the Fed said they're going to continue to keep their kind of rate hiking cycle on autopilot. But the backdrop of that was also slowing global growth, right? If you think about that, you put those two things together and you have a situation well, it kind of speaks to potentially why small cap stocks are underperforming right now, right? If they're more credit sensitive, that sort of thing. So to me, you know, is it kind of signaling that we're seeing higher default risk after a period of abnormally low interest rates? The Fed clearly kept their pedal on the metal too long. And what did that mean for corporates and their ability to buy back their stock and do whatever the hell it is? I mean, listen, there was a binge in the credit markets and we'll see what happens here. Really high level of debt with potentially slowing growth. The bull case for everything right now is that we see a re-acceleration in growth and a moderation of inflation. And you tell me, when everything has been so clear for the bull case, does it usually happen, guy, in your career? All that being said, with the HYG, if there was a push lower to that 80 level on really no new news, it probably would signal the height of fear. It also might signal that the Fed gets a bit more dovish, too. Well, we'll see about that, but it is an important chart to watch, and I'm glad we're pointing it out because I don't think a lot of people are focused on it, and typically they're focused on it too late. Let's take a look at oil because obviously that's another one that everybody is focused on, and you actually talked about it last night. You thought you could see a sell-off on any perceived detente, again, to use that word, 
And that's exactly what we saw over the last 24 hours. And oil sold off about three bucks or so. Listen, I still think it's in play. But could you see that 85 level, that green line, which was resistance back in the fall, uh, could be support here? Absolutely. But we'll see what happens over the next week or so if this rhetoric heats up or if things do calm down a bit in Russia. Well, listen, guy, 65 or a little below to 95 just in a matter of a couple of months. And you'd think we're in World War III. That's really what happens with oil when you have those sorts of moves. And we've been talking about this chart, this cone in a way over the last year or so. And you look from those peaks, there have been some significant sell-offs. I just don't know why. Listen, would it have been beautiful if you had a kiss of 100 bucks, right? And then you had this sort of move lower? Yes, because you and I know things that go to 90 90 and 95 usually go to 100 in the markets here. But clearly, a move back towards that breakout level is in the cards. And don't think for a second it might not overshoot if everything moderates around the world just a little bit on a geopolitical basis. And then if demand were to be a little softer than people expect, look at those peak to trough declines. You know, we had one of 15%, then 20%, then 25%. I mean, this thing could go back to 75 in a heartbeat if a lot of Good things sort of happen also. That's a fair point. And listen, the next thing to obviously look at then from there is the OIH, because this to me is the most interesting of all the charts. Again, very well-defined range. We've talked about it dozens of times. We're right up against what should be resistance, and we're finding it in the form of 240 in the OIH. OIH is basically comprised of three stocks, Schlumberger, Halliburton, to a lesser extent, Baker Hughes. But you've seen that move from 175 to 240 in a straight line. You saw how volatile it was last week. You're seeing the volatility in it now. It is struggling here, and this is your line of demarcation. Given what Dan just said, I think he would submit that we probably see back down to 200 or so, which represent about a 50% correction of the recent low in this high. I could understand that 100%. I'm not ready to give up yet, but given this chart, as we pointed out a number of times, the 240 level to take profits makes a lot of sense, Dan Nathan. Well, I got to tell you this. When you have a move like that in the underlying commodity and then you have the oil service ETF close up on the day, it was basically down a few percent in the morning. It was kind of a, you know, kind of sell first, ask questions later sort of situation. I do have to take some issue with Amanda Diaz. You know, I love her to death, but man, oh man, if we are going to connect some points, you got to connect those two points, the one from June and the one from just the other day, because that would look like a textbook double top guy. And I got to tell you, that's one of the things, you know, I know that you like the oil sector here, but if you just looked at the chart on a one-year basis, and I know this is a two-year basis showing the sell-off into the pandemic, if you didn't know that this was related to oil, you'd be like sold to you because there's never been a double top that I've seen you over the last 10 years not want to sell, buddy. No, and listen, you're exactly right. We put that game on Fast Money all the time. If you didn't know what this was and just looked at the chart, what would you do? And I think you're 100% right. I mean, here's a level where you take profits if we were to start to fail here and get through 235 230 it's uh, to me it's pretty a foregone conclusion the 200s in the cards so well done by you but the one that i've loved and the one that i started trading in 1986 the one that you try to embrace but you can't get your arms around is gold and gold gave a little bit back today but it's fighting a good fight and we're gonna have angie lau on in a minute she has some thoughts on everything we just talked about and gold but what are your thoughts here, Dan? Is this detente, again, to use the word, enough Listen, to knock it down, or is this just short-lived? Okay, you know what? You sucked me in a couple weeks ago, and at a good level, and I did it via options, so I had kind of defined my risk a little bit. But I said to you, if this 
gold can't rally, if it can't break out of the range in the environment that we are in right now, it is never going to rally. You're going to have to say goodbye to your first love in the markets here because this is it, buddy. And if you back this thing out a couple years and you look at that all-time high that it made in the summer of 2020, it's upper left, bottom right, dude. And in this market that we've been in, the one that every investor has known over the last 10 years or so, it's bottom left, upper right. That's what you want to do here. So I'm not sure gold is doing what you think it's going to do. I know you think it's going to be a thing one day. We're going to wake up. I just don't think so. No, and you've been right so far. We will see how it plays out. And again, if things do heat up once again, I think gold will be significantly higher. But again, we shall see. I'll tell you this, Dan. One of the first albums I ever bought as a youth was in 1973. It was Goat Head Soup by the Rolling Stones. And the fifth song on the first side, you can probably figure it out, is Angie. So we're going to welcome in Angie Lau. Now, I'm not sure Keith and Mick were writing about you, Angie, <laughs> but clearly you're on top of mind for us right now. Bitcoin's rally. Oh, from the, I mean, a lot's going on here. You know, Bitcoin's rallied 35% from its January low. You've talked about it. Founder and CEO of Forecast News, a digital media platform that focuses on all things blockchain. Before we get into Bitcoin, you've heard Dan and I wax poetic about the broader market and gold. What are your thoughts? Guy, I think you need to change your horse here, go from physical gold and go to digital gold. But, you know, Bitcoin is uh, is is one of those horses that, you know, either speed up ahead of the pack and then decide to like veer off and, and munch on the grass somewhere. It's the volatility that freaks out a lot of people. But no, you, you guys make a lot of sense. It's that geopolitical correlation to also the risk on assets, which is you know increasingly Bitcoin, crypto, altcoins, stable coins, um, that, that kind of thinking that is also uh, infecting, I would say, uh, crypto because of you know just more institutional voices and uh, positions in the crypto market. And so there is a spillover effect. So to your point, the geopolitical risk is always going to be there. Uh, frankly, the uh, Fed moves is what makes Bitcoin and crypto very, very interesting on the inflationary front. 21 million Bitcoin ever to be mined. The last one will probably be mined in 2040. Uh, that'll be a long, you know, our yeah. I don't even know which generation it's going to be. Uh, my, uh, but hopefully, you know, our progeny will will uh, will will benefit from what we're talking about right yeah. now. Um, which is how do you get in the market at these prices? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Angie, that you mentioned that guy needs to take a look at the digital gold over the gold. And we're <laughs> going to do that. We're going to actually broadcast that live the day that guy opens a, a wallet and buys a little Bitcoin. And by the way, Guy Adami, you knew what who Mick wrote that song, Angie, about. It was about David Bowie's wife. You knew that. And it wasn't about Angie Lau, but she's here with us now. And we might just write a song um, right here about this. All right, so Guy just mentioned, Angie, you had this really steep downtrend in Bitcoin from an all-time high in November. And what I think is really interesting is like, yes, it just broke it to the upside. It's contending with its 200-day moving average. I know that a lot of Bitcoin bulls are looking at what the Fed's going to do, and they're very focused on this kind of rate hiking cycle here and battling inflation. Bitcoin should work really well in that environment, correct? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a deflationary hedge bet, um, and that is obviously the the base case for a lot of people who are looking to get in the market, even when it was hitting 30. Um, but I would say that the market fundamentals for Bitcoin and crypto are predominantly different from equity, and so that thinking doesn't necessarily transfer. There's just a lot of different dynamics and characteristics of Bitcoin and crypto that that one also needs to consider. And that's the technology front. Um, you know, there is a utility use case for Ethereum. Uh, obviously, we could talk about those prices uh, and where it's forecast. Um, you know, Bitcoin, obviously, as a hedge place, the grandfather is the digital gold. It's what people are familiar with. Uh, but even then, there is increasing use cases uh, from the technology side uh, that that potentially one day could see it as a crypto network payment. Um, and that payment rail is also super important to how we look at the prices. Um, I know that you talked about S&P. I think this is super, super interesting here. 98% uh, increase over the past five years, right? Um, and then correlate it to gold. It took, uh, to buy the index, it would take 2.67 ounces of gold back in January to buy the index. And if you take a look at how much ounces of gold it would take to buy Bitcoin, you're looking at uh, you know, 25, 26 ounces. So that in of itself, Guy, come on. Uh, are we going to win you over yet? You want you you clearly won me. I mean, you won me over before we even started the show. Uh, Dan's got a quick question, but here I would submit this. You know, if it's not coincidental, in my opinion, Angie, uh, that Bitcoin started to go lower when the Fed changed course. And if the Fed were to divert mm -hmm. from their current, in other words, if they got spooked by anything and they went back on this easing cycle, to me, that's when you get your hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin. I think it is. It's it's a you know it's a risk off risk on kind of sentiment uh, there, um, and a lot of people correlated as well to uh, you know those tech stocks that that you were talking about on the Nasdaq, right? Um, even then, it's starting to diverge. There's there's a there's there's a there's a you know there's a move away from from tech stocks. We're seeing tech stocks go lower and we're seeing Bitcoin, what are Bitcoin prices doing right now? It's not following the, the trend uh, of tech stocks at the moment. Um, so, so often I feel like people are trying to figure out correlations. First it's gold, then it's tech stocks, then it's, is it to the equity markets? And I do believe, and you can see it very clearly in, in crypto that the volatility um, is is reflects a behavior that is different, and it, it is it is generational. I think it is the network effect. It is more about the the retail sentiment, and it is also if you think of it beyond the speculative nature of it, it is also the fundamental of the technology. Yeah, you know, you bring up a great point, Angie, and I think that investors, let's say, new to crypto, and I don't like to call them cryptocurrencies. I think that's a bit of a you know, PR problem for some of these crypto assets in general. I think you almost want to think of them um, as, you know, kind of high growth tech stocks that are not kind of kicking out cash flows and, and that you can see as a really important part of, let's say, an investment portfolio over a long period of time that might be really disruptive to a bunch of existing technologies, right? And you think of the entire market cap at 1.7 trillion, it's just not that big. It's like the size of Amazon yeah. or something like that. So what do you tell investors like how they should think about it like bitcoin at an 800 billion dollar market cap is kind of like nvidia and you know solana at 32 billion is kind of like twitter or something like that so you would allocate towards 
those individual positions the way you might allocate towards one position in your portfolio, which would normally look yeah. by most people that I know in the stock market, no more than like 5%. And if you get crazy appreciation, because these things can double and stocks usually don't in a year or so, they have over the last few years, then you look to rebalance that sort of thing. But I think it's also how you view legacy stocks versus high growth stocks. Why would you why would you take a risk in high growth stocks? Uh, you know, is there a direct correlation there to legacy stocks? I mean, the 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 growth rate of of uh, some of these startups and technology that's the that's the bet, and you know, you're betting on hockey stick. There is a long runway, and uh, we are in. Many would say the first inning. We haven't even rounded first yet when it comes to this technology play. Um, we are looking across industries and every day it just, there's a new trend e emerging. Um, let's, let's talk about also the sentiment, the, the, the market uh, uh, expression of, you know, Bitcoin prices. And, and I will tell you, it is probably the tip of the iceberg. It is barely the story. There is so much depth to blockchain and crypto and this Web3 industry beyond just price fluctuations. Take a look at that fear and greed index. This is a great, I mean, it, 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 shows, it shows the, the, why the narrative is, you know, is somebody else's narrative and, and you got to take a look at it. January 11th, 2021, 35,000 for Bitcoin. That was 2021. Look at the fear and greed index. The sentiment was extreme greed. The market was euphoric, said that, oh my God, 35, you know, after a high at, that, that sat at 19. Wow, this is incredible. Where, where like, where's the floor? How, yeah. where's the support? And then one year later, this year, we're looking at 36,000 US for Bitcoin. And suddenly the narrative is, wow, we're super, this is, this is crazy that there's no hope. There's no, there's no horizon to this. Um, and there's like a lot of FUD that's happening across the, the FUD the guy. Do you know what FUD is guy? Uh, FUD. Fear, fear un uncertainty, and doubt. And I think it's really interesting, Angie, that you bring that up. That's a really great chart, that, that fear versus, you know, year over year. And you know what's interesting? When that was at 90 back in January, I think Tesla in January of 2021 announced they're putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And you know what's funny? In January 2022, you don't hear any corporates doing that. And I also think it's interesting. I just mentioned Twitter last week with the stock down 55% from its all-time in 52-week highs just made you know and within six months ago the company announced that they're going to take two billion dollars of their seven billion on their balance sheet to buy their crappy stock back and listen i like twitter it's a good company i don't know if this new management's the right deal but man the stock didn't even rally on that announcement of an accelerated buyback can you imagine if they announced that they bought two billion dollars of Bitcoin, what would have happened to that stock? So it's really interesting when you think about sentiment year over year, the price is about the same or was, uh, but corporates 
are changing their tune a little bit. Guy has had the benefit on numerous occasions over the last year to talk to Michael Saylor, the CEO of MicroStrategy. I'm just saying, and he's really gone to great lengths to teach other corporates how to do this, diversify their balance sheet. Do you think that's a thing that comes back in 2022? Uh, There's no doubt that a a lot of the positioning that we saw uh, in the market uh, from the corporate side and institutional side bought in at 30. Um, I I know it is a, a buy signal for a lot of these funds uh, and whether or not they're public about it or private about it, we are seeing those kind of moves. Um, it's, it's, it, it's the long-term horizon. You, know, you, you take a look at all of the inflationary fears, the current macro environment, the, the geopolitical risks, you factor that into what's actually supporting the equity valuations. Uh, you know. <sighs> We all have to still scratch our head. Uh, I don't think much has changed since 2008, except the fact that money has gotten cheaper and people have been, and corporates have been able to buy back and inflate their stock. Uh, and and that has been that has been the 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 bet that we've seen played over and over again um, for crypto and for Bitcoin. It's a different play um, and Ethereum. Uh, you know, you just take a look at the Ethereum prices and the the sentiment is that while it's at around $30,000 right now, um, the sentiment is that by the end of the year, it could go to seven. Um, and I'm, I'm quoting uh, one of our stories on forecast.news um, where a survey of about 33 crypto uh, experts and analysts uh, viewed the space. Uh, and that has a lot to do with how people are actually using it, how it is fueling, uh, you know, gas fees, um, uh, nod to gas fees there, but how it's fueling NFTs, how it's fueling the metaverse craze, play to earn, play to win. You know, this kind of industry move where you see uh, an enormous economy being created in gaming industry that can uh, that allows people and very much across Asia to earn a living playing for NFTs and earning NFTs. This is the kind of utility that we're talking about. And so to your point, yeah, got to th- think about it beyond speculative currency plays. You got to think about it from a utility play, a fundamental, the same way that you would look at a tech stock. No question about it, Angie. Thanks for joining us. We'll have you back definitely again. Next time, maybe we can deal, uh, drill down into NFTs. But please follow Angie on Twitter at Angie Lau TV and check out Forecast News. It's forecast.news for all of her latest headlines. Thanks a lot, Angie. Great having you here. Dan, you, know, you mentioned FUD. The FUD that I know is Elmer FUD, and that's typically during hunting season. Well, we're in the midst of earnings season, and we got a couple of implied moves on earnings. NVIDIA tomorrow and AMAT. Uh, talk to me, Dan, because you're seeing a big move in both. Yeah, so the options market is implying about an 8% move in either direction. NVIDIA, that is massive, especially on a day after the stock has rallied, guy, 9% or so. And in AMAT, which we're going to take a look at that chart, the implied move is about 6.5%. The average has been about 4.5% over the last four quarters. But let's look at this AMAT chart because it really is 
something that, well, that, let's, I'm sorry about that, guys. There we go. There's the AMAT chart there. Guy, you've been talking about this one for a while on valuation, on their positioning as a semi-equipment provider here. That one looks pretty interesting, also contending with its 200-day moving average. But, Guy, first, let's go back to that SMH because the semiconductor ETF, that thing had a heck of a day, up 5.5%. What is it saying to you about the broader space? Obviously, NVIDIA was a big part of that. But what is it saying about a group in tech that could lead that NASDAQ higher? Well, the chips are, right now, chips are not, people are not looking at in terms of being scared of valuation. They're saying this is a secular growth story, and it's probably true. So a lot of these names that got beat up on valuation are getting off the mat a little bit. And a couple of Fridays ago, Carter Worth talked about the ability to buy these names on that low and if you look at the lower green line he was spot on because as he said it stopped to the penny we're now above the 200-day moving average that 200-day moving average has not started to slope lower that's a good sign i think the support's intact here we're going to find out obviously a lot more when nvidia reports that's going to be be a huge tell but i like what's going on i will tell you dan just look at an nvidia chart we have sold off considerably since that all-time high back in november we traded down to the 200-day moving average and theoretically bounced off it. Here we are now at the 100-day moving average. What do I think? NVIDIA is an expensive stock. As you know, it probably trades close to 49 times next year's numbers, 25% EPS growth. They better knock the cover off the ball to get it to the next level higher. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, listen, the thing's had a nice rally. It's probably a pretty difficult setup into the print here. But to your point, trading about 50 times, 2023, that's fiscal. That's the current year that's coming up here. And 21 times sales. You know, this is a massive massive market cap so they really are going to have to put up and put up some good guidance there um but it looks you know it looks kind of tradable guy i mean the flip side of that is if they guide down i mean the stock is going through that support which was that breakout level from october and that 200-day moving average that lines pretty up pretty lines up pretty well i I guess i'd be more inclined to be a buyer of the amat than the uh, nvidia here i agree with you i'm more inclined to be a buyer of amat we're in that range i think you could actually if you really have the temerity to do it i think you could sell nvidia here into earnings and look for that move back to 228 we'll see dan but our time is now past i want to thank everybody for joining us on today's market call thank to our presenting sponsor cme group and open exchange for helping us all get together today If you like what you saw, be sure to tune in tomorrow at the same time. We're going to be live at 5 o'clock all week. See you then, folks. See you then.